HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. This week on Meet and 3, we explore the relationship between food and style. I knew from the start that I never wanted to, like, hot glue bread onto my body. <laughs> like, I wanted to be able to eat, enjoy it after, and I did. Food, which is so ephemeral, right? It's something that you eat and it disappears. With an image, it remains. It stays alive forever. Food and fashion align in that they're both lenses through which to look at culture, right? And they're both also tangible things we can use to express ourselves and our identities. Tune in to Meet in 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond the sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, isakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guests today are Stephen Lyman, and Christopher Pellegrini, who are the co-hosts of Japan Distilled, the fantastic new podcast about Japanese spirits. Japan Distilled started in December 2020, and they have produced 15 episodes so far. I've never missed any of them because their conversations are fun and truly informative. And Stephen and Chris always tell the audience not just the basics, but also in-depth history and background uh, of Japanese spirits, which even most Japanese people wouldn't know about. So I thought you, um, our listeners, would be interested in getting to know about the podcast. And Stephen and Chris are already friends of Japanese. Chris joined us in episode 132 and talked about shochu and awamori and the classic Japanese spirits, uh, which also we mentioned, we're going to discuss a little bit today. Also, you may have read his great book, The Shochu Handbook, An Introduction to Japan's Indigenous Distilled Drink, which came out in May 2020. And Stephen joined us three times in episode 23, 109, and 169 and discussed shochu, his apprenticeship at the shochu brewery 
His book, The Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks, which came out in October 2019, as well as his new life after he relocated to Japan in 2019. And hands down, they're the two of the most,、uh, two of the most knowledgeable people about Japanese spirits. So we are so excited to have them here today. So today we'll discuss why Chris and Steven started Japanese spirit themed podcast, what you should know about Japanese spirits beyond Japanese whiskey. Tips for buying and drinking Japanese spirits, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan is available on the Heritage Video Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Christopher Pellegrini and Stephen Lyman. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the show. Hey. Thanks for、Hello. having us. And Thank you very much for having us back. Yeah, it's very exciting. So, congratulations on、uh, the new amazing podcast. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. All right. So,、uh, so where are you now and、uh, how's life? <laughs> All right, I'll start. <laughs> yeah.、Uh, so, yeah, I'm、uh, now based, this is Steven. I'm now based in Fukuoka, Japan, and、uh, things are hectic. It's pretty, pretty busy. It seems like nothing ever slows down.、Mm, despite the COVID.、Um, what about you, Chris?、Uh, I'm in Tokyo, Japan. And yes, also pretty hairy in terms of everything that's going on, trying to balance everything that's flying about. And, but yeah, it's fun. Just Stephen and I are working together to spread the good word about Shoutu and Aomori. It's a day in, day out endeavor. And, We're excited to be here to talk to your listeners about it. Right. So let's jump into it. So,、um, for listeners who have not listened to your previous episodes,、uh, could you tell us uh, briefly um, your background? Yeah, like- sure, Christopher, why don't you go first on that? Okay.、Uh, I am a shoutu and awamori nerd, I guess you could say. I'm from a beer brewing background. In the States many a moon ago, ended up in Japan. Wasn't really my plan, but ended up here. My significant other wanted to be in Japan, and one year became two, two became five, and five became a, a, you know, an apartment. And we're still here and we love it. We've been here since 2002, and I fell headlong in love with shochu and awamori after I was properly introduced to it down in Kyushu. And it's been just a wild ride ever since. Every day is an education. Every other day is a chance to talk to people about these amazing spirits,、uh, which have hundreds and hundreds of years of history but are unknown outside of Japan. And as a function, or partly in my quest to reach more people and help these drinks expand, that turned into doing. Tastings and seminars and classes, and then that turned into a book, and then it just amplified everything. And so here we are today. <laughs> yeah, what about you, Steven? Yeah, I, I discovered Shochu and Awamori in New York City probably going on 15 years ago、uh, at an izakaya in the Chelsea neighborhood.、Uh, there's, there's still an izakaya there, it's called Juban now.、Uh, the ownership has changed hands, but still a great place to, to try these drinks. And I, I had been a foodie and I'd been into wine pairings and, and craft beer and that sort of thing. But I always felt like 
I'd love to have a spirit that paired with food because I just felt like after a few glasses of wine, a couple of beers, I just felt kind of full. And a spirit without any residual sugar and lower calories tends to, you know, you can sort of eat more, right? And that was sort of my original motivation. And then when I discovered shochu and awamori made of these traditional agricultural ingredients in Japan that are single distilled spirits, so you still taste the base ingredients, they, they pair really well with food once you dilute them a little bit. So you get them down to about a wine or beer strength. And, and I finally found that spirit that I could pair with food. And that just led me down a rabbit hole, just like Christopher said, uh, where I ended up visiting Kyushu and then I started to make shochu uh, at a distillery every fall. I, I basically took an annual pilgrimage to Japan to make shochu for a few weeks a year. <clears throat> mm. And then I realized, you know, I'd really like to live here. And so in 2018, uh, I made the jump. Right. Well, a glass of shochu at the New York City bar changed your whole life, sounds like. That's right. Right. And uh, yeah, and I still remember you said that uh, when, after you switched from uh, other uh, alcoholic beverages to shochu, you lost tons of pounds of weight. So <laughs> despite right. you ate with shochu, so that sounds uh, like everyone should be paying attention to <laughs> about the health benefit of shochu. All right. So, um, well, let's jump into the new podcast. So you started the Japan Distilled podcast in December 2020. So why did you start it? I've um, been bothering Christopher to start a podcast for a long time. <laughs> and, he find, he, <laughs> and it took me, uh, I guess, really, when we started talking about it as the pandemic started. We were both working from home. I felt like we had a lot of extra time. And we recorded a few test episodes and they, the audio was awful. And uh, so finally, we we sucked it up and, and invested in some equipment and uh, set up our studio so that we could get decent audio. And then we hired an editor, and that made all the difference, really, to get us off the ground. Uh, but that's that's how we got it started. But something that's been in the works for a long time. We've both had websites. We've done a lot of shochu writing. Uh, we've done a lot of trade shows and, and talked to, you know, in different uh, venues, uh, giving seminars and things like that. But we really felt like we wanted a new way to talk about these things. And we had started early on uh, in the lockdown, we had started what we were calling uh, Show Tuesday. And it was a weekly live stream where we would talk about whatever was on our mind. And we were doing it on Wednesday mornings in Japan. So it would be Tuesday evenings in the States. And uh, that sort of evolved into the podcast. The podcast is the more formal scripted uh I guess, uh, form of communication. And then we still do those weekly uh, live streams where we're just talking about whatever is on our mind. And it's, it's just been a lot of fun. Mm, right. And it's just amazing that how rich the information is each time. And sometimes I have to replay some parts like, wow, that's interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm so excited to how you started uh, the podcast. And two of you, both of you are very, very uh, professionally trained to talk about um, shochu and other Japanese spirits. So, so what is the theme and the mission of Japan Distilled? Christopher coined the phrase that shochu and awamori are Japan's best kept secrets because annual production volume actually exceeds tequila, but almost all of it's consumed in Japan where most tequila exports. Wow. And so our, 
our mission really is to spread the word about these beautiful Japanese spirits uh, to the world, to get the word outside of Japan into the English uh, language, I guess. And of course, shochu and awamori are the undiscovered spirits from Japan. But of course, Japanese whiskey is extremely popular now and for very good reason. Uh, Japanese gin is rising. Japanese rum is undiscovered. It's pretty, it's pretty wild stuff. Yeah. And we realized there's just an opportunity for us to share all of these amazing drinks that are in Japan with uh, drinks fans around the world. Mm. Right. Okay. So, um, so when we hear Japanese spirits, like you said, we tend to think of Japanese whiskey, uh, which is a very hot category in the global spirits market right now. But um, so there's a lot more exciting things happening, like we're going to discuss later. So could you just give us an overview of Japanese spirits, just like a world of map of Japanese spirits? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, one thing that's very important for people to know is that a spirit is something that is distilled. This is a very common mistake or, or a gap of information that people have in their minds. So in other words, world spirits would involve whiskey and gin and vodka and tequila and rum and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, sake is not a spirit. Anytime you hear somebody refer to it as a spirit, they have misspoken or they just don't understand what a spirit is. And when we think about spirits that are made in Japan, as you said, Akiko, the most famous one is Japanese whiskey, but there's a whole lot more. And there's a lot of stuff that's made, been made in Japan for centuries longer. And those, of course, are Honkaku Shochu, or what many people just know as Shochu, and Ryukyu Awamori, or what we'll just often refer to as Awamori. And in addition to that, you have things that have been established for a little while in Japan, which would be rum, as Stephen mentioned, and then also gin. But we also have fledging, fledgling uh, traditions such as eau de vie. There's a few different eau de vie makers now, and that'll probably continue to expand as we go. And then, of course, there's umeshu and other fruit liqueurs, which I guess are somewhere close to being a spirit. In many cases, they are macerated or infused into spirits as fruit and coffee and other things that are that spend time kind of uh, what's what's the word uh, floating in spirit and often with sugar added there's a very solid and well-rounded spirits tradition in japan and as you as we've said a couple of times it's the whiskey that gets all the credit but i think moving forward it's the shochu and awamori that are going to steal the spotlight mm, right even the whiskey uh there's one incident uh well just one whiskey got global uh, accolades and then since then everybody started to keep buying japanese whiskey so it's just a matter of when and how people discover it that's right right Okay, so we'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll dive into different types of Japanese spirits and Japanese cocktail culture. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers. 
wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From northern hilltop hazelnut farmers in Piemonte to southern sea salt millers off the coast of Sicily, Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners, Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code HRN. Learn more at gustiamo.com. That's G U S T I A M O.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katema, and my guests today are Stephen Lyman and Christopher Pellegrini, who are the co hosts of Japan Distilled, the fantastic new podcast about Japanese spirits. So let's just go through,、um, you know, the, all the different categories you just mentioned. So, shochu, first, is the quintessential Japanese spirit. So, what is it and what types of shochu are there? I'll let you take that one, Christopher, since you wrote the book on it. <laughs>、uh, okay, so the simple definition of shochu is koji, or sorry, let me back that up. It's approved ingredients. And their koji that have been made,、uh, brewed and then distilled in a pot still. And we're gonna say single pot distillation, meaning in this case that the distillation happens just once in the pot still. And then what you have is what you get. And that is shochu at the end. Because it's a single pot distillation, The resulting spirit smells and tastes like the fermented mash. Whatever it was used to ferment and create the alcohol, it's going to smell like that. So, in other words, if you make shochu from sweet potatoes, which is the most common, the most popular category by sales, then it's going to smell and taste like sweet potatoes. And if you make it from barley, then it's going to taste like that. It's a really remarkable and diverse category. In a nutshell, that's what shochu is.、Mm, right. And so, for listeners who are not familiar with koji, koji is、uh, what they call the national mold of Japan. And if you taste anything delicious,、uh, umami rich food like miso, soy sauce, everything, and it's also made with koji mold. So, that's the secret、right. of Japanese and delicious food culture.、Um, by the way, you know, the Japan Distills logo. Is visibly very appealing and memorable, right? And it's, it's a pot still, right? And、uh, there's a drop、right. of whatever. And then I had a conversation with a friend and a sake expert, Timothy, Timothy Sullivan, and、um, he、mm-hmm. said it looked exactly like his shower head. And I thought <laughs> it was looking like a soap pump. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well,、yeah. You have, to keen it, you have to keep it clean. So, I, I suppose both of those, ref, those、uh, references are apt. Right. So, listeners, if you look at the logo and tell us how you see it.、Um, anyways, that's a really good design, I have to say. All right. So,、uh, cheers. Yeah. So, so, when you talk about shochu, you, know, you, know, you mentioned awamori. That's also、um, tend to be overlooked, but that's a very important、uh, piece of culture 
in Japanese spirit. So,、Absolutely. what is awamori? Stephen, your turn. Sure. So, awamori is actually a independent distilling tradition from Okinawa. And Okinawa used to be an independent country, it was the Yukyu Kingdom. And it used to be heavily involved in trade in East Asia and Southeast Asia. And so, distillation technology is believed to have arrived in Okinawa before it、uh, went to Japan. And awamori was what the local Ryukyu people were making. And it also today must be made with koji, and it has to be made using rice. And it can only be made with what's known as black koji.、Uh, There's three colors. We go by color, which I guess makes it pretty easy for people to remember. There's、uh, yellow, white, and black koji. Yellow koji is what almost all sake is made from.、Uh, black koji is what all awamori is made from. And then white koji was actually a mutation of black koji that is now used often in shochu production. Although shochu is the most flexible, you can use yellow, black, or white. In shochu production, and all of them are often used. There's a little bit of sake made with black or white koji, but probably 99% or more of sake is made with yellow koji. So, awamori is black koji. The starch base has to be rice, with, and you can't add any other ingredients. And then all of the rice has to be inoculated with koji. And that makes it distinct from shochu, and that shochu is almost always a rice or another starch、uh, starter fermentation in which the koji is used, and then you add another ingredient to the main fermentation. In awamori, it is 100% koji inoculated rice in the fermentation. And then it is also single pot distilled.、Mm. Uh, and, and again, it's virtually only made in Okinawa. Uh, there is some made outside of Okinawa, but to be designated as Ryukyu Awamori by the World Trade Organization as a geographic indication, it has to be made in Okinawa with black koji, 100% inoculated,、uh, koji inoculated rice, and pot distilled.、Mm. Right. So, Awamori kind of、uh, signifies the fact that shochu and Japanese spirits, and including Awamori, this is a very、um, regional, local、um, drink. And then it's just a cultural experience、uh, by tasting it. You can really see the background and how taste differ depending on where you are and what you drink locally at the local bar. So, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, by the way, in your episode 11 on, of Japan Distilled, you discussed the difference between Japanese shochu and the Korean soju. And、uh, shochu and soju are often mixed up for a fair reasons, for like tax regulations、yeah. and crazy things. And,、uh, and it was a great episode,、uh, by the way. So I really appreciate that you did that episode. So, could you give us a brief summary of the episode about the difference between the two? Sure. This one's yours, Christopher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even need to wait for that.、Uh, yeah, shochu and soju, obviously, they get. Confused a lot. They sound kind of similar to most people's ears, and especially in the United States, they're conflated. That's, as you said, Akiko, it's partly because of the tax and licensing structures in certain states. But the, the episode itself was, of course, designed to sort of delineate and demystify and differentiate the two major spirits categories. Now, Korean soju. 
is a an old tradition, a spirits tradition that if you listen to the episode, you'll hear some of the history. Today, most of it is a multiply distilled product that has sweeteners added to it. And it actually tends, it's almost always bottled at a lower ABV than Japanese shochu. It's perfect with Japanese cuisine and, uh, sorry, with Korean food. It's, it's, it's because Korean food tends to have a lot of red spice. It's a very good palate cleanser. It's chilled normally and consumed at pace in small glasses with other people that you're eating with. And it's cheap. It's designed to be cheap to produce and it's designed to be cheap to uh, consume. Now, I know there are already people over there out there probably listening to this are like, wait, 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 wait. There are some amazing soju brands that are made that are more traditional and, and this, that, and the other thing. Yes, that is certainly true, but those are all very recent iterations. They are rewinding the tape back to decades and decades and decades ago to, to find a time when Korean soju was a much more local thing. It wasn't made by huge conglomerates. But the vast majority today of Korean soju that is exported around the world, often in green bottles, is made by gigantic corporations. And it's something that, again, is not really, you can't claim that it's artisanal. It's not made by craftspeople necessarily, like the very modern, new, small batch uh, stuff that is now on the market. And there is some good stuff out there. Honkak shoju, on the other hand, is very different in that it's single distilled. It tastes like what it's made made from. You can't add any sweeteners. And it's a very simple tradition-based product that has a pretty much uninterrupted history as far as these things go. Of course, they didn't have uh, pot stills like we have today back 600 years ago. Things have modernized, absolutely. But uh, the episode, episode 11 of the Japan Distilled podcast, attempts to make it clear that these two traditions are wickedly different. Mm, yeah, I learned a lot from the episode. And uh, so in gen- generally speaking, so it's just a diverse, almost the opposite different styles, um, depending on which you they drink, really are. right? So, so yeah. you should know before you order or purchase uh, Japanese shochu and Korean shochu are different. And it's not about which is better, but it's diversely different. So um, you have yeah. to keep, remember that. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, so let's talk about Japanese whiskey. We mentioned a couple of times, but Japanese whiskey is extremely popular in the global market in recent years. So why do you think it's so popular? I think that's an excellent question. <laughs> the it, and I, I sometimes ask myself the same thing, but then when I go back and I visit uh, American whiskey traditions, Scotch whiskey traditions, and I try these different drinks, I try bourbon, I try rye, uh, I try some you know single malt scotch, that sort of thing. Japanese whiskey tends to be very fruity and inoffensive in the way that it expresses. So it's very easy drinking. It's not heavily peated like some scotch, some... Uh, some bourbon, some rye can rye can can get sharp. Uh, bourbon has its own character, and and Japanese whiskey, I think, just part of it is blending uh, that makes it so round, and also the, the fruitiness that I describe. It's really, um, it's intended for dilution, and I think that's something that's important to understand about how people drink in Japan. 
people don't sip whiskey neat usually. Whiskey is usually served either um, diluted with water or diluted with soda um, in traditional Japanese whiskey drinking. And I'm, I'm talking about decades ago. And so because that was the drinking styles that they were making whiskey for, it was intended for dilution. And when you dilute, the, the, the nicest style is that fruity middle of the road style. That's what tends to play well with dilution. And it, but it ends up being a really, really balanced drink. But nobody was really paying attention until they started winning awards. Right. Right. As you mentioned, the, you know, the big awards that started coming in, nobody was drinking whiskey in Japan at that time. Mm. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why there's so little available now. And it's pretty recent. That was uh, 2015 when uh, Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible named Suntory's Yamazaki Single Malt Sherry right. Cast 2013 uh, the best whiskey in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it really matters to have that kind of awards. But, yeah, I think uh, we had Shinji Fukuyo of Suntory, who's he's the master blender of Suntory, uh, which has been the dominant uh, producer of Japanese whiskey. But... It sounds like this, you know, they use the word art of blending in the in, in terms of Japanese mm-hmm. whiskey. So, so blending, like you said, it's really the key and the balance uh, and the whole harmony. That's something like a very Japanese society. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> right. So, um, well, so there used to be only a few whiskey producers in Japan, like I mentioned, Santori and the Nikka, but. Um, since Japanese whiskey became popular outside of Japan, we see so many new Japanese whiskey brands uh, that joined the market. So w- what do you think about those uh, new brands? Jeez, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that's a difficult buy, question. Buyer beware. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's, it's, it's a tricky subject because you've got Japanese whiskey, which is whiskey made in Japan, right? And then you have uh, whiskey made in Japan that actually wouldn't qualify as whiskey anywhere else in the world, at least not in, not in, not in whiskey-producing countries. And then you have whiskeys that are uh, made in other countries and imported to Japan and then bottled in Japan and labeled as Japanese whiskeys, right? right. And then you have uh, koji-based fermentations that are then double-distilled and cask-aged and are in this kind of gray zone because koji is not typically used traditionally for making whiskey. Mm. So it's, it, the, the, the market is really, really cloudy to understand what's, what's a Japanese whiskey. Mm. Right? It's, it's kind of a wide open question, and it was a wide open question until the labeling standards were released a few months ago. But those labeling standards were written by Suntory and Nika, Essentially, <laughs> right. right. So, <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. So let's so just talk about that. So up until recently, there's no definition of Japanese whiskey, like you said, and uh, so in February this year, 2021, the Japan uh, Spirits and Liquor Makers Association announced uh, new standards of Japanese whiskey, and uh, so this association uh, consists of big. Uh, whiskey producers, including Santori and Nika, although you know they are still very influential, and they created the standards of high standard of Japanese whiskey. So I, I give them credit to <laughs> say something relevant. But um, 
Yes. So, what's the point of the new industry standards, and how does it affect consumers like us? Yeah, I think it was basically designed to cut out the the last group of producers, which Stephen mentioned, which are the the companies that are sourcing distillate overseas. They're importing it into Japan, and then they are packaging it here and calling it Japanese whiskey. I think they were trying to <laughs> stop that from happening, and that was the main impetus for the new labeling standards. However, in the process, they've kind of cut out a whole lot of potential creativity. One of those things, one of those sources being whiskey potential whiskey makers who have a history of. Using koji on their barley rather than malting or or importing malted barley、uh, from England and using that instead.、Um, so it's、uh, there was、uh, simultaneously the effect of kind of shaking out some of the the players in the in the game that aren't really being very honest, and then at the same time stifling some of the creativity that is indigenous to this country. Mm, right. Well, I think the purpose is to、um, maintain the good image of Japanese whiskey as. Oh, absolutely. Right.、Um, yeah. But it's it's interesting. So our mentioned Mr.、Uh, Fukuyo of Santori. I asked him about what do you think about this, and he said, "Well, we can't call certain whiskey as Japanese whiskey anymore, but there are a lot of there's a lot of room to play and be creative, like you said. So it's not definitively."、Um, Restrictive about Japanese whiskey and the production of the, for the future of different kind of、um, categories as Japanese whiskey, but it, it, it's I think it's it's good as far as there's no kind of like a fake,、um, you know, disguised Japanese whiskey all over the world in so-called. Yeah,、Japanese. that would yeah that would be great, and this is probably the topic for another podcast altogether.、Um, but. Yeah, absolutely. I re- we really hope that it's true that that spirit of creativity will continue、mm. um, after these labeling standards go into full effect in April of twenty twenty four. Right, and I do think、yeah. that the、uh, sorry, I do think that the the net benefit of the standards is that it does make this clear to consumers、mm. what's made in Japan, what is Japanese whiskey, yeah, because、definitely. there hadn't been any clarity in the past. So definitely an improvement. Right. And also, you extensively、uh, discussed the new standards, and、uh, I really、uh, learned a lot from your discussion in the Japan Distills podcast. So, and、uh, the other thing I, I really wanted to ask you about was、uh, how about Japanese gins? I heard that, that there are a lot of craft gin boom.、Uh, there is a craft gin boom since I don't know, like lately. So, what's going on with the Japanese gins? Yeah, we we just had. We just recorded an episode about it. They'll be coming out soon, so it's great timing to ask us that question.、Uh, Japanese gin is—I、uh, think it's still in the early days to really even understand what a Japanese gin is,、um, because a, a lot of the—it's a lot of the gin is being made by shochu makers or sake makers or beer makers or the whiskey makers. Right? Nobody. There's the only. Well, I guess maybe not the only anymore, but the first dedicated gin distillery was the Kyoto Distillery,、uh, which makes Kinobi, which was released not that long ago. But as everyone else gets into the gin business, defining Japanese gin right now it's just a wide open space because there are so many interesting botanicals 
available to Japanese gin makers. And it'll be really interesting to see how it falls out and what becomes popular with consumers.、Mm. Right. I, I never tasted the kinobi, which I'm hoping to sometime. But、uh, so, for example, Santori made、um, the rock gin, right? Right. And that's a lot of like cherry and very, very super Japanese botanicals in there. And、mm-hmm. yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting.、Um, so, do you think it's going to be more,、uh, there are going to be more gin brands coming out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I think there's, there's a ton we've just heard of, you know, close to a dozen different places that are looking into it right now. And I think it's something to keep your eye on. Basically, anything that a, a company that is accustomed to use, to really focusing on a quality fermented mash, that could be a sake maker, could be a shochu maker in particular, because they have to, so much of the final product is wedded to what's happening in that fermentation. I think once those companies get involved in other spirits, whether it is Japanese whiskey, whether it's koji whiskey, or whether it's gin, I think. You have to pay attention because they've got one of these really important points covered that sometimes is overlooked in other parts of the world. I mean, you don't ever hear a gin maker in Europe talk, or maybe you only occasionally hear gin makers in Europe talking about how amazing the fermentation was. And for、mm-hmm. a sake maker or for a shochu maker,、right. that is the okay, most so, important thing. Yeah, and know, in the、right? genius, especially,、uh, you can play with many different ingredients, right? So it's not like shochu、yeah. or sake. There's so many herbal elements you can throw in and the balance out. So it's a very、uh, sure. exciting thing.、Um, yeah. Okay. So, what's the, the episode? Is the episode 16? That's going to be your gin episode? That's right. The next one coming up is Jin. Okay, so listeners,、um, listen to、uh, Japan Distilled episode 16, number 16. It's going to be all about Japanese gins. All right, so let's talk about、uh, Japanese cocktails. So, Japanese cocktail culture has been regarded as unique and revered in the global cocktail industry. So, could you tell us what aspects of Japanese cocktail culture are so unique? Japanese cocktails really rose out of the ashes of World War II. And they started with Japanese learning to bartend for US servicemen, particularly in Tokyo. But as the American troops left,、uh, cocktail culture remained and ended up spreading throughout Japan. And when you visit a traditional Japanese cocktail bar, even today, you're going to get a tuxedoed barman who is making your drink with precision. And as little wasted movement as possible from very high quality ingredients. And he will make that drink taste the same way every single time he makes it. And I think it was originally that attention to detail that caught the attention of the international bartending community. However, where the real big wave has come from, I think, is the Japanese bartenders who trained overseas but brought that、uh, with them. And they have the freedom of Western bartending style, but yet you, they retain a lot of the same character、mm. of, of, the, uh, of the masters that they either learned from or that they've learned about、uh, in the past. So it's, it's a really unique style of bartending, and it's, it's been pretty, pretty fun to watch.、Mm, right. 
Yeah, like in terms of the precision, in, for example, I heard that non Japanese bartenders go to Japan and buy Japanese bar equipment because it's so functionally、um, superb and、uh, precise for us. You can easily control it. But someone like,、uh, you know, like Gen Yamamoto, who trained as a bartender in, in New York,、um, went back to Japan and he became very successful. He's known for use of a lot of fruits and You know, fresh fruits in cocktails. And yeah, I haven't been to Japanese bars、uh, as often as I wish, but it sounds like there's new things happening. There are. And I think Gen Yamamoto's bar is, is a little bit of an outlier. He's really created the cocktail omakase, or essentially chef's choice. And so he goes to the market every morning and chooses the freshest、uh, fruits to work with and comes up with cocktails for that evening based on. Virtually only Japanese spirits that he's using、wow. uh, to make his drinks. Where most traditional bars in Japan, they'll serve Western spirits. They may be Western spirits made in Japan, but it's very difficult to find shochu or awamori in a Japanese bar. True. In a cocktail bar. That's beginning to change.、Uh, for example, Shingo Gokan,、mm-hmm. uh, the bartender who was at Angel Share and, and has just amazing bars now around the world. Uh, he's actually now released his own line of shochu. So, shochu is now beginning to be recognized as a potential ingredient by Japanese bartenders.、Mm, right. Yeah, Shingo Gogan, he has bars in、uh, Shanghai and、uh, Tokyo and very different places. So, yeah, it's amazing that the Japanese bartender、uh, is now outside of Japan as well and then influencing Japanese、uh, cocktail culture, which has been very traditional.、Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you said,、mm, yeah, it's very traditional.、Um, okay, so,、um, so how has COVID 19 been affecting the Japanese spirits industry? Yeah, it's been, it's been tough, just as it, as it has been for everyone around the world.、Uh, the spirits industry lost a lot of the, the retail. Outlets that it had been selling to, a lot of the restaurants and bars and bottle shops were, especially restaurants and bars, had been buttoned up or had been forced into shorter hours and some of the same things that have happened elsewhere around the world. So 2020 was a very, very tough year for most makers' bottom line.、Mm. And it's still not done yet, right? It's just the food industry has been strictly restricted by the Japanese government in terms of. Hours of operation, if you can serve、yeah. sake and shochu. Yeah. Yeah, and they're only allowing parties of two in Tokyo right now. And it's, it's just, and they can, they can serve for basically 90 minutes in the evening and they have to be done by 8 p.m. Yeah, it's not relaxing. There's no point drinking. No, it's、all. not fun. <laughs> yeah.、Um, yeah. By the way,、uh, you know, the Kazuhiro Sakurai of Dasai and Sake Brewery. Uh, he's joining me、uh, in a couple of weeks, but he put a lot of huge ad to say something against、right. the Japanese government's policy to too much restrictive, to be too much restrictive about food industry、um, compared to other industries. So, yeah, it's just, I hope things are going to be better something very soon.、Um, all right, so、um, how Predict the future of Japanese spirits in general and any categories that you,、uh, we should keep an eye on?、Hmm. I think the future is it's hard to tell 
I mean, how long will this Japanese whiskey wave last? Is this a consistent thing? Will Japanese whiskey be popular forever? Probably not. But it's got a nice way of going now. Hopefully, the new makers that are coming online are going to be making good whiskey, and that'll help. Hopefully, great whiskey, and that'll help sustain that. But I think the domestic market is shrinking. There's no question. So, export is key for shochu makers, for awamori makers, for gin makers, for rum makers, for all of these spirits makers in Japan. They really need to start looking for export opportunities, and. I think it really depends on how how much Western or foreign drinkers latch onto these categories and start to drink them and start to enjoy them. And you know, you asked what was our motivation for Japan Distilled. I think it's that right there. We want to make these categories more popular overseas. We're friends with many of these makers. We want them to survive. We want them to thrive. And without export, that's going to be a very, very difficult thing to have happen.、Mm. So maybe I'll let Christopher take what categories people should keep an eye on. I kind of gave the doom and gloom. I,、uh, <laughs> you absolutely have to keep an eye on Shochu and Awamori. I mean, six hundred years of of perfecting this craft can't be wrong, right? So、uh, listen for it, search it out,、uh, listen to the previous episodes or previous times Stephen and I have been on. On Japan, on the Japan Eats podcast, and then if you have time, head on over to Japan Distilled for a little bit more of a deep dive. But they're coming; they're absolutely coming. It's just going to take a a concerted effort from a number of stakeholders to realize that there are serious opportunities here. Yes, it's educating new markets and new consumers,、mm. but we've seen repeatedly that people like things that taste good,、right. and I think、uh, Shochu and Aomori are a、uh, shoe in in that department.、Mm. Hey, and、uh, personally, I like shochu. It feels good after I drink it. It's something very, I know that the taste-wise it's medicinal, but for my body, I think, you know, it feels good. So I like the way、ah. it's made. Maybe probably because, you know, like it, you know, single distilled, very homemade,、um, basically ingredients expression. That's what you put in your mouth when you drink、uh, shochu.、Sure. Nothing.、Right? Nothing else is added. No additives. And yeah, and I never use, I never lead with this, but yes, it is one of the lowest calorie spirits in the world, so it is quite light and easy on the system. Right. Okay. So,、um, so for listeners who are now、um, interested in Japanese spirits, where、uh, quickly where shall they start? Any tips on buying and drinking them? Sure. I think shochu and awamori might be a little bit difficult to find. Although in in a lot of、uh, larger cities now they're starting to pop up in in liquor stores, if you have a local izakaya, Japanese gastropub essentially, that's a great place to start because they're going to have a number of different things to try, both shochu and awamori, but potentially some of these other spirits as well, and so you could taste through a number of different things. You know, be a great way to support a local business that's probably been hurting、uh, over the last year and a half.、Um, that's that's what I that's where I started. I learned about shochu in Inazakaya. Christopher, I think, basically had the same experience. He was lucky enough to do it in Tokyo, while I did it in New York.、Uh, so that's a great place to start. If you're going to go right into a liquor store,、uh, Umami Mart in Oakland, California, does online sales. They can deliver all over the country, and they've got an incredible collect,、uh, collection or selection of Japanese spirits. So that might be a、yeah. good place to look for people that can't necessarily find it locally. Because、mm, Umami Mart, that's the name. That's right. Okay. 
Right. Okay. So,、uh, what are your plans regarding Japan Distilled, and what about on your mind? I think you're going to see Japan Distilled cover the entire spectrum and palette of Japanese spirits. And then we're going to, after we've laid that base, we plan to do deeper dives and more niche dives into aspects of. The categories that haven't really been discussed all that much, or at least not publicly. So, that right now, I guess we're doing the 101 course on Japanese spirits, and then we're going to take another pass and do the 201 level. And then, if we're still at it a couple of years from now, then we're going to have to get up to 301. And hopefully, we'll have put together enough of a library of content and useful educational materials that we'll have lots of other people who will be out there、uh, creating their own content to educate new. Consumers about these drinks.、Mm, right. Okay, so where can we find、uh, the, you know, the links and everything to Japan Distilled? Sure. It's、uh, japandistilled.com, is our website. We're also available basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts,、um, you know,、uh, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure you're much better at naming them than I, than I am, <laughs> Kiko. But、uh, <laughs> As far as、uh, social media, we are on Facebook. We have the Japan Distilled Facebook page. We have at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram.、Uh, so that's, that's how you can find the podcast, basically. We also, as、uh, I mentioned earlier, we do a weekly Japan Distilled Show Tuesday every Tuesday evening in the States. That's live streamed on both Facebook on the Japan Distilled page and on YouTube.、Mm. So lots of ways to,、um, to see what we're doing, listen to what we're doing, and then, of course, You can reach out to us on social media. Right. Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad that you started the, the podcast. I'm learning so much uh, uh, from each episode. So, yeah, so keep up. Great. Thank you so much. We will.、Right. Thank you. Right. So,、uh, well, again,、uh, Stephen, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you hopefully soon again、uh, on Japanese. Thank you very much for、thank、having、you. us. All right, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikuatema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Aman Wang, and thank you for listening. I will see you soon. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.